BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Chapter 11 of The Black Flemings by Kathleen Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11 Winter sunlight was slanting into the room when she awakened, and for a while she lay still, trying to reconcile these beams from the southwest with any possible hour on a January morning. Her watch had stopped at half-past three. Or had it stopped? She sat up bewildered, the ticking watch at her ear. Sunshine from the southwest, and her watch briskly ticking at half-past three. It can't be, Gabriella said aloud, beginning heavily the business of dressing. Why, where are they all? she murmured, gradually fitting together in her mind the events of the past night. Why didn't someone? Flooding sunlight and cold pure air from the southwest. The day seemed turned around as, fifteen minutes later, she went slowly downstairs. Nobody anywhere, sitting-room, dining-room, halls, pantry. But Hedda and Margaret were quietly talking over some busy chopping and peeling in the spotless kitchen, and Margaret started a wood-fire in the dining-room stove, and Hedda brought Gabriella a delicious breakfast luncheon and placed it on a small table near the blaze. Gabriella was there alone, thoughtful over her meal, when David came cheerfully in. He looked just his pleasant self as he sat down, his dark hair a little tumbled, and his old corduroy jacket spotted about the cuffs with paint. But Gabriella thought he gave her an unusually sharp keen look, and felt tears prick behind her eyes as she smiled in answer. Well, he said, you got some sleep. Eleven hours, said Gay. I'm glad. You looked all in last night. And Margaret said you came down to the kitchen late as it was and talked things over. For an hour, Gay pushed away her table, almost untouched. Feel like a walk? Oh, no, thank you, David. She smiled gratefully, but he heard the sharp sigh that followed the words. I feel broken, she said, with suddenly wet eyes. I don't blame you, he answered gently. But you mustn't take all this too hard, Gay. There's nothing disgraceful about it, after all. Your mother had typhoid fever, and it left her like this. She doesn't suffer. Indeed, poor Aunt Flora suffers much, much more than she does. Aunt Flora's just been telling me that Aunt Lily is usually perfectly serene and happy, wanders in the garden, loves the flowers. Balm was creeping into the girl's heart with every word he said, 
and David saw, with a deep relief in his heart, that he was making an impression. "'Finish your chocolate,' he pleaded, and smiling over the brink of her cup with wearied eyes, Gay obediently picked it up and drank it to the dregs. "'It seems that Aunt Lily has been restless since you came home,' David added. "'They never really know how much she understands or how she learns things.' but she knew you were here and she's been wild to see you being winter she had been indoors most of the time and since christmas aunt flora says she has been unusually restless that's really the whole explanation and that isn't so terrible is it he finished with a smile gabriella looked at him soberly i would like to see her again she said slowly well by all means he answered cheerfully I hear from Margaret that she seems to have a heavy cold and she's in bed, but you can go up there, talk to her. My mother, David, the girl faltered, and the eyes she turned from his were brimming again. It's so different from what most girls think when they say mother, she managed to say. I know, David said quickly, with an infinite pity in his voice. I know, Gay. It's very hard, dear. "'What I realize now,' Gay began again, after a brief silence, and in a voice she resolutely held steady, "'what has come to me, suddenly, is that my name really is Fleming, that there was never any marriage at all between my mother and Sharp and Jay.' It was quite true that the thought had come to her suddenly, for at the actual commencement of the sentence she had no distinct suspicion in the matter. Forlornly, she had been instinctively searching for some phrase that should win David's sympathy, that should help him to realize how lonely and sad she felt. But now the vague sorrow in her heart, the indefinable weight upon her spirit, seemed to crystallize into these words, and almost frightened of herself when she had said them, she ended on a note of interrogation and turned toward David for his denial. There was a revulsion almost nauseated in its violence upon her when David only looked at her with infinite pity and concern, and asked, "'Gay, my dear, dear Gay, why do you say that?' "'Oh, my God, my God, my God!' Gay exclaimed, suffocating, and she got to her feet and walked to the embrasure of the big eastern bay window, where she stood staring blindly out at the paths white with shabby snow and the trees bare wet branches twinkling in the sunlight a passionate childish wish that she had never voiced this horrible thought and made it so concrete in his consciousness and hers shook from head to foot it was said it was said and now they must say more the fire in the stove had burned itself out a chill was beginning to pervade the gloomy great spaces of the dining-room the ugliest hour of a cold glaring winter afternoon lay upon the bare garden through the denuded shrubs they could see the steely ripple of the sea you see that it explains it all david gay said hurriedly and briefly aunt flora's anger against my mother and her anxiety to keep the knowledge of her marriage from everyone there was no marriage that is a thing you could easily find out gay david reminded her watching her anxiously could find out there was a glint of hope in her voice and in the heavy beautiful eyes she raised to his do you mean that you don't know i think of course your mother was married 
David said stoutly. But how can I convince you? I never gave it a moment's thought before. Or if I did, he added, conscientiously remembering vaguely some talk before the fire with Aunt Flora on the day that Gay had come home last fall. I must have been entirely reassured, for I never understand that there was anything irregular about it at all. I can ask, Gay mused somberly. I would ask if I were you, David answered with a quick nod. Only remembering, he added, that if it should be what you fear, it does not really touch you, Gay. You are not yet nineteen, and you are sure to win friends, and your own place, and create your own life and your own happiness, in these years that are ahead. Don't feel anything but pity, if this should be the case. She glanced at him gravely over her shoulder. Then he saw the blood creep up under her clear, warmly colorless skin. I would like to have something, one thing, in my life, she said, slowly, of which I might be proud. David watched her as she walked slowly, and with her head held high in a sort of weary dignity from the room. Flora, before the sitting-room fire later, told him that the girl had been upstairs with poor Lily, who was in the drowsy state that followed fatigue and the rather strong astringent medicine that Margaret had given her for a heavy cold. Gabriella had sat beside her mother's fire, peacefully reading. Flora reported. Flora herself seemed oddly relieved and at ease about the matter. Gabriella came into the room just before dinner, with her eyes still clouded and heavy, but wearing the prettiest of her plain black uniforms, with the white collar and cuffs that enhanced the delicate beauty of her wrists and throat. She seemed composed but subdued, and was so extraordinarily lovely, sitting silent in her chair after dinner, raising her long curved lashes to look seriously at whoever addressed her, that David thought that if anything could make Gay more beautiful than before, this touch of tragedy and sorrow had done so. Tonight she seemed to have no heart for cards, and David dared not suggest them. Once, when Aunt Flora had left the room, she told him in a hurried phrase, and with the hot color burning in her cheeks, that at the first opportunity she meant to question her aunt and clear up the whole matter. "'I think you're wise,' David said warmly. "'And meanwhile, would it do any good to have me stay at Wastewater? Are you in the least nervous about being left here?' "'Left here? With Margaret and Daisy and Sarah and Hedda and Trudy and Aunt Flora?' she queried, looking up with a shadow of a sad smile. "'Dear David,' she added, as if half to herself, staring back at the fire again. What I have to fear is nothing from which you can save me. Sad times come into every life, Gay, the man said, trying to comfort her. I remember, he blundered on, I remember the day that Tom and I were brought home from school, when our mother died. That was before you were born or Sylvia was born. Aunt Flora wasn't even married, if I remember rightly. No, of course she wasn't for she was engaged to Uncle Roger after that. "'Ah, losing your mother is different,' Gay said in a voice of pain. "'But with me, Davy, it would be better if I had lost her, if I had never had her.' Nothing more was said until Aunt Flora returned, and then David felt a thrill of genuine admiration for the girl who could forget her own heartache to watch the elderly woman's card game 
prompting her, correcting her, discussing plays. Watching them both, he told himself that he would remain at Wastewater, whatever the inconvenience to himself, at least until he could make sure that Gabriella had settled the wretchedly upsetting question of her own legitimacy. But the next day was bright, and the sunshine almost warm. Gay seemed over the stormiest pain of her new shock and new suspicions, and David saw that she did not intend to hurry any further investigations. Moreover, his closest friend and associate, the lazy, happy-go-lucky Jim Rucker, in whose city studio David occasionally set up an easel, wired him distressedly concerning a question of some frames. Billings wanted to know if the snowscapes were to have the same frames as the picture called White's Barn Keyport, and if those three pictures came back from the Washington exhibition, where did David want them left? David was needed. He departed, carrying the comforting last memory of Gay, gloved and muffled, walking briskly in the winter garden, and promising him that if there were any really sensational weather developments in the next few weeks, she would send him word. If there's a blizzard, she promised, with almost her old smile, you shall come back and paint it. Or one of those ice storms that coat all the branches with glass. And be sure to let me know if the notes, those little scrappy sketches I love so, sell, and which ones. Lord, she is beautiful. Beautiful, David said aloud in the taxi. I guess she'll be sensible. She's all right now. He did not know that she watched him out of sight with a heart like lead. With him the winter sunlight seemed to go, too, leaving only gray skies, gray sea, bare trees and frozen earth, leaving only shadows and damp odors of plaster and dust and kerosene in wastewater's big walls leaving loneliness and fear and shame to Gabriella. Almost three weeks later she wrote him. David saw the Crowchester postmark and instantly knew whose pretty square handwriting that must be. She wrote closely, evenly, yet there were a dash and a finish about the block letters that gave the sheet the effect of a rather unusual copper plate engraving. I had a long talk with Aunt Flora about ten days ago, and she told me the truth. It was what I suspected. There was never a marriage, and that was what broke her heart, and incidentally my poor mother's heart. The disgrace of it, and the fever, coming all at once, were too much for her soul and mind, and can you wonder? I think I had braced myself to hear it, David, and expected it, and I'm trying to meet it as well as I can trying to work hard and to keep busy, and to believe that it is only fair that I should pay for what was not my fault. That is the reason, of course. I mean the fact that it was all secret and wrong, that Uncle Roger never made any search for Charpentier, my father. My mother had no claim on him. Aunt Flora was kindness itself about all this, and I think she feels bitterly sorry for me. She talked to me so kindly about Sylvia and herself always wanting me here, and indeed I could hardly be anywhere else now, for my mother has been pretty sick, and likes to have me about her. It seems that she fears any doctor we call in may be from one of those sanitariums she so hates, so we have not called one. 
she lies very peaceful and still and oddly enough likes best to have me play and sing to her one kind thing that aunt flora did was to have the old square piano upon which sylvia and i used to practice years ago brought up to my mother's room and often we spend our evenings there now and the letter went on in a composed and courageous tone that david found astonishing in any girl so young while she lives which will not be long for she seems more like eighty than fifty now and is so frail we hardly know whether she will ever get up again while she lives i must stay here since sylvia and aunt flora will let me whether my pride likes it or not of course afterward i looked to work she had underscored it twice any sort of work to help me get my balance back to help me feel that life is just in the long run and that there is good somewhere under all this david read the thin sheets more than once and mused far more steadily than he realized upon the situation of the lovely and loving young creature to whom life had been so strangely harsh there was not truly as she had said one thing of which she might be proud her father was nothing to her her mother was poor little weak-minded aunt lily the bread she ate the roof that covered her were sylvia's nameless penniless at eighteen she faced the world with bare hands one day he stopped at a fancier's in the east thirties and sent up to wastewater a coffee-colored airedale seven weeks old the creature had somewhat the shape and feeling of a little muff but was stocky warm and wriggling with a little eager red tongue coming and going and an entreating whine for whatsoever stopped to finger his soft little head if aunt flora objected david scribbled on his card gay was to ask john please to keep ben bay who was alas somewhat lacking in points but whose father was champion ben bay west clocks the second until david could take him away david however hoped that aunt flora would not object to ben bay his lack of points would not prevent the woolly little affectionate creature from being a real companion and comfort to the lonely girl at wastewater studying practicing brooding walking alone in the snow eating meals alone with aunt flora in the dreary dining-room singing her little songs to her forlorn and dying mother in the winter evenings david would shut his eyes and shake his head at the mere thought of such a life for such a girl his exhibition was early in april and was followed by another in chicago where he would show pictures and must be if possible david planned to go to wastewater immediately afterward and establish himself there for the summer sylvia would be coming home in june and there would be all sorts of questions to settle sylvia would have plans she brimmed with plans and of late david musing over the problem of gay and her youth and her beauty and her future had been entertaining a new plan of his own it had come to him suddenly this thought of a new solution for gay and it had a strangely thrilling and heart-warming quality about it for all its undoubted whimsicality and unexpectedness david had first found himself thinking of it on the day when he and jim rucker were bound for chicago david had been thinking idly in his comfortable big pullman chair and staring through the side window at the landscape that although still bleak and bare 
was already so different from what it had been a few weeks before. Clouds so heavily packed then were flying wildly now across a sky that seemed nearer, more accessible. Trees leafless, yet had a faintly moist and expectant air, as they whipped madly about. They were thawing, and the taste of rain, and a great softening in the air, there was ploughing under way, and children's coats and winter hats were already shabby and ready to be shed. Shadows lay longer, and daylight lingered in the car almost until the dinner hour. David watched school-children stamping and running by the big roadside pools that were ruffled by the wind. He saw mired cars in the muddy roads that were hard as steel a few weeks before, and except on the northeastern sides of fences and barns there was no more snow. He was thinking of Gay, in a desultory fashion that had been customary of late, just of Gay at Wastewater, coming and going in her plain frocks, with her beautiful hand set off by the thin blonde cuff, and her beautiful creamy throat rising from the broad, transparent, organdy collar, with that husky sweetness in her voice, and the fashion of raising her up-curled lashes to look at him. Gay, opening doors, walking by the sea. And suddenly, full-grown in his mind, was the idea of marrying Gay. He did not know whence it had come. It seemed complete. It was finished to the last detail. David was oddly shaken by this extraordinary inspiration. He did not think of it as an idea. It was an obsession. Once in his mind he could think of nothing else, nor did he wish to think of anything else. Under his desultory rambling conversations with Jim Rucker during their dinner, and while he was trying to read afterward, the insidious sweetness of this astonishing vision persisted. David abandoned himself to it over and over, as he might have done to some subtle and dream-provoking drug. He always imagined his homecoming to Wastewater to find Gay in the sitting-room, sitting alone by the fire. He would come in to her, and she would raise to his those beautiful, serious eyes and he would hear that husky, sweet voice in greeting. Sometimes the mere pleasure of this so much intrigued David that he was obliged to go back to the beginning and picture it all over again. The upstairs sitting-room, the drowsy coal-fire in the steel-rotted grate, Uncle Roger's smiling picture with the favorite horse and the greyhound, looking down from above the mantel. Then they would talk a little about her mother and Aunt Flora and Sylvia, and then David would say unexpectedly, I've thought of a wonderful solution for you and all your troubles, dear old Gay. I want you to marry me. And when David reached this point in his dream, he had to stop short. An odd, happy sort of suffocation would envelop him, something that had nothing to do with love, but that seemed sheer emotion, by a realization of the poignant dramatic beauty of the scene. To be sure, David had said almost these very words to Sylvia only a few months before. But strangely, strangely, they had not seemed to have anything in common with the same phrases when addressed to Gay. In the first place, for ten years he had been steadily and admiringly moving toward the day of his marriage to Sylvia. He had administered her fortune with that in view, and being at this moment under a flexible sort of promise to marry Sylvia, 
an understanding that was to be made more definite presently only if she so decreed he had given some concerned thought a few months before to his future status as the husband of a rich young wife as a money-hating society-hating display-hating painter married to a girl of twenty-one who might quite naturally be expected to enjoy her money and the social advantages it would give her david even now thought of himself as loving sylvia and of being the proper mate for her but sylvia did not love him or if she did she also loved the thought of her independence of travel with her mother they had always thought they loved each other and there being no change now in his feeling toward her david quite honestly believed that he loved her still but part of his plan for gay included an explanation to sylvia of the complications of the situation oddly enough david did not dwell in his thoughts upon this explanation there was no thrill in imagining that he thought of it hurriedly sylvia beautiful and understanding of course sylvia sane why certainly david it does solve everything for poor little gay and is much the wisest arrangement all round that would probably be gotten through as briefly as possible probably by letter or perhaps david could see her for a moment at college and immediately this was over he would be free for that strangely thrilling scene with gay a scene of which he did not think as connected with love-making in any way he had loved sylvia for years and there was none of that feeling here no this was just an inspired solution for poor little gay's affairs for however wise and charming she was not the type of girl who battles or wishes to battle successfully with the world she was alone poor nameless and beautiful and david shuddered as he thought what life might add to her present load of troubles and wrongs on the other hand it would be excruciating to her to live along indefinitely at wastewater she would be dependent upon sylvia she would have no real place in the family and on every side would be constant reminders of her mother's unhappy life and of her own illegitimacy but married to him established in the sunshiny little farmhouse in keyport where he kept a sort of studio mrs david fleming what a wonderful thing marriage is david thought shutting the book he could not read and lapsing contentedly into his golden dream again he pictured gay as his happy simple busy young wife pictured them breakfasting on the shabby little east porch of the keyport house on some summer morning when the peaceful ocean swelled and shone like a stretch of blue chinese silk what a wonderful thing it is to take a woman right out of her own house like that david said with a strange plunging at his heart i don't know that i ever realized just what an extraordinary thing it is before he began to imagine himself as introducing her to the simple household arrangements there the little wood stove the saucepans in which he and rucker had sometimes scrambled eggs the odd sketches and notes on the walls the whole slipshod comfortable little bachelor establishment and his heart sang at the thought he was only uncle roger's stepson whose income was something like four thousand a year gay was nothing what they did where they went how they spent the little money they had would be nobody's business 
they would go to spain if a few pictures sold at some sale next year or the year after and if they had a child some day david added this in his thoughts with a little unconscious squaring of his shoulders and a grin they would take him with them drag him along and toughen him and let aunt flora and sylvia say what they would the relief of not having to think of wastewater aunt flora and and yes of sylvia too made him feel a sort of shame joy in that arrangement he would always have been self-conscious fighting against nameless and subtle and cramping opposition for his identity and his freedom if he wanted a studio in wastewater he knew just how sylvia would cushion it and beautify it if he wanted old rucker to come up and paint for a while he knew just how aunt flora abetted by sylvia would ask innocently how long will mr rucker be with us david he knew because he had indeed experienced it when rendering her accounts exactly how conscientiously and incessantly sylvia would discuss money matters with him if you are in that neighborhood david he could imagine her saying pleasantly do get those bonds from crocker and put them in the safety deposit boxes i do think it was just a little irregular to leave them there since they aren't needed and will you go over that once again david you say they are reorganizing the company and want me to accept these securities for the old i don't understand you only have to sign that certificate dear all the other stockholders in the old company are doing it he imagined himself responding for the tenth time yes but david suppose this is so much worthless paper sylvia would ask intelligently and aunt flora would nod in grave approval and admiration no cheating sylvia i don't believe in scribbling my signature anywhere and everywhere sylvia would go on reinforced please let's go over it again and again until it's all quite clear but with gay how simple and easy it would all be just their own happy daily plans to discuss and their own microscopic income to administer they would go up to wastewater for sunday dinner with sylvia and aunt flora and gay would really be a fleming then and all her old unhappiness forgotten who would know or care that beautiful young mrs david fleming had been born outside of mrs grundy's garden walls gay would come in to her husband's exhibitions wearing that little velvet gown or another like it so vitally eager so interested so familiar with every stroke of the brush and at this point in his musing david would go back to the beginning again and think of wastewater in an april twilight a week or two from now and himself arriving there to find gay dreaming alone before the fire in the upstairs sitting-room she would raise those star sapphire eyes and give him that radiant smile and they would talk about aunt lily and aunt flora and sylvia and then he would say suddenly i've thought out a real plan for you gay it involves my having a talk with sylvia and it involves a little green and white farmhouse and barn in keyport for which i pay a hundred dollars rent a year and a plain gold ring how bewildered she would look he could see that faintly smiling maternally indulgent look his dream took complete possession of david and made everything he did and said these days seem unreal 
the exhibition was underrun by a strong current of it it involves you and me gay and my having a talk with sylvia david was saying to himself over and over and the sale of a picture only made him think suddenly that he would like to give her a little present oh and he had his mother's beautiful old-fashioned diamond engagement ring and also some almost valueless but pretty topazes that had been hers a ring and earrings on a chain and an oval onyx ring with a pearl in it these would be charming with gay's warm golden coloring especially if she wore those plain little velvet frocks life took on quite a new meaning for david and he said to himself that it must be because he was moving in this matter with gay safety and comfort and future rather than his own predominant in his mind that this odd fluttering happiness this poignant interest in the tiniest things in his day because oddly they all seemed connected with his dream this new delightful sense of values in anything and everything had come to him spring was always late at wastewater but spring was surely here he thought when he reached the old place late in an afternoon early in may he had hoped to get to wastewater in the middle of or at least by the third week in april but upon returning to new york he found business matters of sylvia's there which could not wait it was with a grim little twitch in the corner of his mouth that david devoted himself to them sylvia would pay her next administrator and it would not be her affectionate cousin david now he would not get to waste water until may and the twenty-third of april was gay's birthday david felt quite disproportionately provoked by the delay poor little gay she would not have much fun on her nineteenth anniversary and because it seemed so newly and delightfully his business to think of gay's pleasure now before his own he sent her a birthday letter david wrote with something less than the truth i've been thinking a lot about you and hoping that between us all this summer we can lighten that sad heart of yours or no i won't say us for i hope to do something toward it all by myself i've got a most attractive plan to propose to you and you must make up your mind to agree to it i am writing sylvia about it for she comes into it a little but not much it is almost entirely dependent upon you and somewhat upon yours ever faithfully and affectionately david she would get nothing from that david assured himself as he mailed the letter having done so he tried to think just why the thrilling excitement that possessed him had seemed to exact that he relieve his overcharged emotions with just so much of a hint it would only puzzle her End of chapter 11。Chapter 12 of the Black Flemings by Kathleen Norris。This LibriVox recording is in the public domain。Chapter 12 。Gabriella, however, was more affronted than puzzled by it. It made her definitely uneasy. She suspected at once what was in his mind, and in the utter despair that engulfed her, she felt that this would be the crowning trial, the crowning indignity, in a life that was filled with both. The days since her discovery regarding her mother had seemed endless to her. They were the cold, dark days that follow the coming in of the new year. There was nothing of the holiday's snap and exhilaration about them. 
rain clouds winds heavy snows rushing storms that thundered and banged about wastewater gay felt that every out-of-door garment she had was twisted and soaked and half-dried she was sick with loneliness and discouragement in vain she made herself practice made herself walk and study there was no life in it everything she did come up against a blank wall a dreary what's the use what was the use of living to find that so much that was weak and stupid and wrong was blended into one's blood if there had been a sweet interested mother to put her arm about one or a big father to advise and adore if there had been normal friendships neighbors all the cheerful life of the average american girl ah that would have been so different but gabriella was alone yet curiously imprisoned in this dreary old silent place tied to the poor little invalid who rarely identified her and dismal quiet aunt flora and to all the ghosts and echoes of wastewater tied too to an unceasing contemplation of sylvia's perfections sylvia's good fortune sylvia's charms sylvia would be home in june as the daughter of the house and the heiress already some papering and painting was being done in preparation for her return she herself had selected papers and hangings in boston weeks ago gabriella had borne bravely the initial shock of discovering her mother but she weakened as the slow cold weeks went by let her music go neglected her books wept and brooded a great deal david's birthday letter brought the first smile of many days to her face and she opened it with the old brightness he always brought to her shining in her eyes the cryptic phrases made her bite her lip thoughtfully look off into space for a little while and presently she went for a lonely walk by the sea and half a mile away from the house seated upon a rock above the ebbing teeth of the cold tide she read the letter again then she tore it to scraps and buried it under a stone her cheeks blazed with color and a nervous hammering commenced in her heart he could not mean but he could not mean that he meant to ask her to marry him this would be preposterous it certainly was not that yet as gabriella remembered the phrases of the short letter the horrible conviction came to her that her suspicion was justified he was engaged to sylvia or at least there was between them an understanding more or less definite that was what he meant by sylvia's part sylvia's coming into it a little and the rest was between him and gabriella oh he could not intend to hurt her so terribly to add this insufferably humiliating thing to all that she was enduring now i don't believe it gabriella said aloud to the gulls in the sea david wouldn't do it it wouldn't be honest and he would know how mortally how mortally hurt i would be but the uncomfortable fear persisted david always entered into sylvia's and aunt flora's plans with all the affectionate interest of a devoted son he knew they were troubled about gay he would step into the breach and solve the gay problem once and for all oh my god i cannot bear it if he begins to say something like that to me gay said passionately getting to her feet and beginning to walk along the rough shore blindly hardly conscious of what she was doing how cruel how cruel they are 
They don't know, you see, she added to herself more quietly. They don't know how hard it is. Aunt Flora will think it over and decide that David would be a most wonderful match for me. Her heart began to beat fast again, and her face burned. If he comes here next week, she said hurriedly and feverishly, I will not be here. Where can I go? I won't. I can't have him tell me about it. That Sylvia thinks it wise, and Aunt Flora thinks it wise. No, my dear David, Gay said, stumbling on and crying bitterly as she went. You are the one man in the world who cannot solve my problems by marrying me. You would do it to have them happy, and to make me happy, but that would be more than I can bear. I've borne a great deal. I wish I'd never been born. And blinded by tears, she sat down upon a rock and buried her head in her arms and sobbed aloud. But when she got home, she was quite herself again and had the puppy in the sitting-room before dinner, playing with him charmingly in her low chair, standing him up on his indeterminate little hind legs, in a dancing position, doubling him up with little bites and woofs of affection, to which the struggling puppy made little woofing and biting replies. Gabriella had by this time quite convinced herself that it was idiotic to suspect sensible David of anything so fantastic as disposing of Sylvia whom he so heartily admired, and offering himself up to her, whom he had not seen for twelve long weeks. She put the suspicion resolutely from her. Aunt Flora had softened so much to Ben, as the puppy was called, that he was a regular third in the evening group, and had even been up to Lily's room. Flora often pretended that Ben could not be comfortable curled up in a ball in an armchair and sound asleep and would drag him into her lap with an impatient, Here, if you won't be quiet anywhere else. Tonight, Gay forestalled this by surrendering him to Aunt Flora as soon as dinner was over. Neither played cards tonight. Flora thoughtfully pulled the little dog's soft ears. Gabriella sat opposite, with Emerson's essays open in her lap. Poor Lily isn't going to last much longer, Gabriella, Flora said presently, with a sigh. The relief of sharing her secret had quite visibly softened Flora, and she often discussed Gay's mother with the girl as with a confidant and an equal. I think we must have a doctor now. I know, of course, what he will say. She had constant care from a doctor while she was at Crosswick's. But afterward, it is as well to have had some advice. Gabriella, listening soberly, nodded with a sigh. She could not pretend to grieve. More, she could not pretend that it would not be a great lightening of her load when that frail little babbling personality was no more. She thirsted to get away from wastewater, away from ghosts and shadows and echoes, into the world again. Away from David with his kind eyes and his interested smile. Away from Sylvia, who was so cruelly armed at all points with beauty and intelligence with friends and money and position and power. Presently Flora spoke of Sylvia. David would be home in a few days now, and Sylvia in less than five weeks. It would be so wonderful to have Sylvia home for always. Do you know, Gabriella, said Flora, jerking her yarn composedly over Ben's little sleeping head, 
i would not be intensely surprised if nothing came of the understanding between david and sylvia from something she wrote me i rather suspect that there is somebody no i can't say that perhaps it is only that she does not want to think of anything so serious so soon she's not yet twenty-one after all but she wrote me as if she might be thinking it wiser for david gabriella heard no more her throat constricted again and her hands grew cold all the fears of the afternoon returned in full force but surely surely they couldn't all be so simple as to think that she would placidly and gratefully accept the solution of her problem her poverty her namelessness her superfluousness david would not anyway she told herself a hundred times in the days to come david was understanding david was everything that was kind and good he would help her find her independence he would always be her friend and gay knew in her own secret heart that her universe would always revolve about him that there would always be a mysterious potency in the mere sound of his voice or touch of his hand where she was concerned but discuss her with sylvia and aunt flora and kindly and with big brotherly superiority offer her a plan a plan to accept his name and his protection simply because she was so apparently incapable of taking care of herself gabriella suffocated at the thought no david couldn't be david and do that in the ten days that elapsed before his arrival at wastewater she alternated between such violent extremes of feeling and lay awake pondering imagining and analyzing the situation so constantly at night that she was genuinely exhausted when the afternoon of his coming came at last there were moments when she felt she could not see him dared not face him there were times when she longed for his arrival and to assure herself with a first glance that all this nervous anticipation was her own ridiculous imagining and that no thought of it had ever crossed his mind when he finally came gay was in the garden for spring had come to waste water and david's fancy of finding her before the fire in the sitting-room had been outdated by two full weeks of sunshine there was fresh green grass sprouting about the old wall there were daisy-starred stretches of it under the massed blossoms of the fruit-trees gracious shadows lay long and sweet everywhere over the new green leaves the willows were jade fountains of foliage the maples uncurling moist little red and gold tendrils and the lilacs were rustling columns of clean new leafage and plummy blossom the last of the frost had melted from the newly turned sods gulls were walking about pulling at worms and spring sunset lay over the broad gently heaving surface of an opal sea david had taken his bags upstairs greeted his aunt who was knitting in the sitting-room but without the fire and had spent perhaps ten restless and exciting minutes in outward conversation and inner excitement where was gay when would the door-handle turn and the plainly gowned girl come in with the smile flashing into her star sapphire eyes when she saw him and the beautiful hand she extended so quaintly so demurely enhanced by the transparent white cuff david was so shaken by a strange emotion at the thought that every moment was bringing their meeting closer so confused by the undercurrent of his thoughts 
the undercurrent that would dwell upon her greeting, and his introduction of all he had to say to her, that he could hardly hear what his aunt was saying. When he did finally escape to search for Gay, and when Hedda told him that she was in the garden, he found himself standing quite still in the side passage, with his heart thundering, and his senses swimming, and an actual unwillingness upon him, after all these days and weeks, to make the real dream that he had cherished so long. There she was, about the western turn of the house, half walking and half running, with the puppy sometimes keeping his feet and sometimes swung dizzily in the air on the rope that Gabriella was carrying and the little dog biting in a frenzy of joy. There was a warm, sweet light in the garden at five o'clock. The day had been balmy enough to make cooler airs at his clothes almost a relief. Pleasant domestic sounds in the barnyard were all about. Clucks and moos, John whistling, and the stamping of big horses' feet on distant floors, the scent of violets and syringa, of lilacs and new grass, of damply turned, sun-warmed earth was like a delicious sharp and heady ether in the air. David joined the girl just as she and the dog were turning down a rambling sort of back road that led toward the sea. Gabriella turned, and although indeed she smiled, he saw that she was an older and sober Gabriella than the little schoolgirl of the Christmas holidays. They walked the quarter mile to the shore, deep in a conversation he had not anticipated. She talked of her mother, whose life was a question only of days now, and made one allusion to the deeper cause of pain to herself. My finding out about myself, about my mother's never having been married, David, has made a sort of change in everything to me, she said unemotionally. I seem to feel now that I must do something, that it is more than ever my duty to do something to make my own place in life and stand upon my own feet. That's the only way I can ever be happy, and I will be happy, so believe me, she added, nervously intercepting an interruption from him. Dr. Enesco from Crowchester says that my mother will not outlive the month. And then I mean to write to the nuns in Boston and stay with them until I find something that I can do. I know Aunt Flora will help me, for indeed she offered most graciously, and while I must, I will let her. She was very kind about it all, Gabriella added, reaching safer waters now, and so speaking more quietly. We have never spoken of it except at that one time. I said to her quite suddenly, one night when we were going up to my mother's room, I'd had it terribly on my mind, of course. Aunt Flora, answer me one question. There would be no use in my attempting to trace Charpentier, my father, would there? There is no record of that marriage, is there? That is the real reason for all the mystery and secrecy, isn't it? And she turned very pale, went on Gay, and answered, yes. We never alluded to it again, although many times since she has told me that Sylvie would always take care of me, that I must not worry. And catching a sudden look of determination and interest in David's face, Gay went on hurriedly, but indeed I don't worry. I shall get along splendidly and make you all proud of me. A sensation of pity so sudden and acute as to dry his mouth and press like a pain behind his eyes silenced David for a moment. 
then he said but you are very young gay and inexperienced to face all the ugliness and coldness of the world suppose david added conscious suddenly of the quickened beat of his heart there was some other plan that erased or helped to ease all those worries of yours oh my god gay prayed in a very panic of fear oh david she cried in the deeps of her being spare me oh god don't let him mean that he's going to ask me to marry him oh no 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 aloud she said nothing they were on the sweet grassy cliffs above the sea now and gay was looking out across the level stretches of the peaceful water over which shone the last of the long day's light she was so beautiful as she stood there that for a moment david was content to look at her and tell himself that he had not remembered how lovely she was loose delicate tendrils of her tawny hair were blowing about her white temples there was a delicate creamy glow on her warm colorless skin her great eyes seemed to give forth a starry shimmer of their own in the fine hands encircled at the wrists as david had anticipated they would be by transparent white cuffs she held the restless puppy against the young curve of her breast in the old garden and the spring sunset she looked like a slender serious impersonation of memory or poetry or of some mythical young goddess wandering under the great trees but it was not only the physical beauty that he saw he saw in her too the dearly companionable girl of the past midwinter whose husky sweet laughter had rung out over the card table whose eager helpful interest had made bright so many a dark sleety morning in the upstairs studio when the oil stove slowly warmed the air and scented it with hot metal and kerosene vapors he saw her buttoning on the big coat tramping through snowy woods at his side with her hands deep in her pockets and her bright face glowing like a rose and a first little chilling fear crept over his bright dream suppose suppose she was not for him after all gabriella he said suddenly his face reddening and his voice shaking a little will you let me tell you what i plan for you and for me she gave him an agonized half glance nodded and said some indistinguishable word of assent as she turned away i was wondering david began and suddenly it seemed all to go flat and dull he felt himself to have no business to be putting it to her this way this half laughing half sympathetic wholly kind and comfortable way the smooth phrases of his imaginings vanished in air he was merely a rather stupid man of thirty-one bungling the most delicate thing in all the world it was too late to stop the girl's face was crimson but she had turned toward him gravely and expectantly and was looking at him steadily and bravely this was my idea david began again miserably i i felt i knew that you were most unhappy and that you felt lonely and as if you were wasting time here and yet doubtful about making a start elsewhere and it occurred to me he tried his best at this point to recapture the affectionate whimsically note that these words had always had in anticipation but do what he would they sounded stupidly patronizing and heavy it occurred to me he said again that you and i are somewhat in the same boat we're flemings 
yet we don't truly belong at wastewater. That belongs to Sylvia now. And wouldn't it be a very delightful thing for you and me to give them all a surprise and just take ourselves out of their way once and for all? She heard him so far. Then she stopped him with a sudden backward movement of her head and answered quietly with a downward glance at the puppy's little snuggled form. Thank you, David. But you must see that I can't. I can't do that. But thank you very much. David was honestly taken aback. Not that he expected her to fall into his arms. He did not know just what he expected her to do, but certainly not this. He had perhaps imagined her beautiful and irradiating smile turned toward him, heard a rich cadence half of reproach and half of pleasure in her voice as she said something like, David Fleming, are you asking me to marry you? This actuality was all confusing and different from the plan, and his own feelings were disconcertingly different, too. The girl looked unmistakably hurt and humiliated by what he had said, which was astonishing enough. But even more astonishing was his own sudden conviction that she had reason to seem so. What was he saying to her, anyway? After all, her love affair was the most important thing in all a girl's life. It was not something to be flung at her unexpectedly, between one's arrival after weeks, after months of absence, and a family dinner. A half-analyzed consciousness of being wrong, combined with the general confusion of mind and senses, was strong upon David as he blundered on. I may be surprising you, Gay. You see... I've been thinking about all this for a long time. You can certainly say, this is so sudden, in the good old-fashioned manner if you want to, added David nervously, hoping to win back his humorous, comprehending little companion of January with his anxious and appealing laugh. But Gay did not laugh. I do appreciate your taking my problems so much to heart, David, she said, turning to pace staidly back through the twilight greenness and sweetness toward the house. But I really blame myself a good deal for being such a baby. I've been selfishly dwelling upon my troubles, and acting as if no girl ever had to face them before, and of course it has worried you and Aunt Flora and Sylvia. But that's over now and I want you to know that I do appreciate your sympathy, and your having thought out this way of escape for me, and having planned it all with Sylvia. As a matter of fact, David interposed eagerly, hoping that matters might yet adjust themselves. Sylvia's letter to me, asking to be set entirely free of any real or imaginary understanding between us, crossed my letter to her saying that I had other plans in mind. He looked at Gabriella hopefully with the words. Perhaps when she knew how completely above-board and deliberated the step had been, she would begin to see it in his light. But Gay merely reddened the more deeply, if that were possible, and said hastily and uncomfortably, I see, and I do thank you, and I ask you, I beg you, for the little time I'm at Wastewater, she added feverishly, as the vertigo of shame and confusion that had been almost nauseating her threatened to engulf her in a humiliating burst of tears. Please never say anything like this to me again. Please. There are reasons. 
gay fought on desperately feeling with terror that tears might end in his arms and that utter capitulation on his own kindly humorous terms must follow such a breakdown there are reasons why it kills me to have you talk so i beg you david to consider it all settled all over why of course i will david said in a cold quiet voice that braced her like a plunge into icy waters i'm only sorry to distress you he added formally i had been thinking about it with a great deal of pleasure and i thought that you might i'm sorry we'll never speak of it again then they were at the side door and gay escaped into the gloomy dark hallway and fled red-cheeked and panting to her room where she could cry rage shake herself walk the floor and analyze the whole situation unobserved oh you fool she said scornfully to her panting image in the mirror you hysterical schoolgirl oh how i hate him and his plans for me she gritted through shut teeth and i hate sylvia worse i hate them all he thought i would die of joy he knows better now oh insulting he wouldn't have done that to sylvia or one of the montalan girls but it didn't matter with me aunt lily's daughter with no father to stand up for me and it isn't my fault i haven't a father gay said pitifully half aloud leaning her elbows on the bureau and beginning to cry into her hands it isn't my fault that i'm all alone in the world and again she flung herself on the bed and her whole form was racked and shaken by the violence of her weeping he'll see my red eyes at dinner and think it's for him she broke off savagely sitting up in the early dark and reaching for the scrambling and mystified puppy who was going upon a whimpering tour of investigation among the pillows gay dried her eyes upon his downy little back lighted her lamp and soused her eyes with cold water half an hour later she went down to dinner quite restored to calm and ready to take a cheerful part in the conversation but she would not share the sitting-room with her aunt and david after dinner she said with that touch of new maturity and decision that david found so touching and so amusing in little gabriella that she would go up and sit with her mother thus releasing margaret for an hour or two below stairs the room seemed to become blank however when she had gone quietly away and david was surprised to find that the thought of her had become so habitual with him in the last few weeks that he was thinking of her still as steadily as if that strange hour in the garden were the dream and the gay of his plan the gracious gay who had so many many times promised him in his thoughts to marry him were the reality he found himself restlessly making excuses to follow her upstairs was aunt flora going up to see aunt lily tonight later flora said somberly was it quite safe for gabriella up there alone with the invalid oh quite poor lily had not the strength of a baby now after an endless time they went upstairs to find that margaret had just come up and gay was ready to plead fatigue and slip away to bed aunt lily was a mere colorless slip of flesh and blood quiet upon smooth pillows now with her gray hair brushed and pinned up neatly 
gay was kneeling beside her in the orderly lamp-lighted room when david went in with one of her beautiful hands clasping the yellowed old lifeless fingers she got to her feet with no sign of embarrassment and in another two minutes had disappeared for the night david saw a light in her transom half an hour later when he went to his room she was probably quietly reading he thought discomfited preferring the society of books to his own after what had transpired this afternoon he felt disappointed and humiliated he missed the thrilling dream that had kept him company for so long and for a day or two he managed to persuade himself that it was because gay had failed him she had proved very much less satisfying than his thoughts of her he had unconsciously been idolizing her all this time he had thought of her as gracious merry provocative responsive and she had proved to be merely embarrassed and awkward well he said going off to sleep that's over no harm done but he could not dismiss it again he said almost aloud that's over no harm done end of chapter twelve chapter thirteen of the black flemings by kathleen norris this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirteen he plunged the next morning into work going off to keyport immediately after breakfast and returning late in the afternoon the day was exquisite beyond words the sea satiny blue and there was real summer warmth in the sweet spring stillness of the air david saw gabrielle in the garden when he came back and took his painting gear upstairs determined not to make himself ridiculous in her eyes again but a power stronger than himself immediately took him downstairs again he walked with an air of strolling to the hollies where she had been but she was gone david now felt irrationally and without analysis that he must see her and at once he had nothing to say to her and if he had he might have waited until dinner-time brought them together but he felt like a lost child not seeing that figure in blue gingham his eyes searched for it hungrily swept each new vista he felt actually sick with disappointment when moment after moment went by and there was no sign of her down the lane on the cliff road or among the rocks he thought of nothing but the finding of her gabriella in her blue gingham seated by a pool running along with ben just to find her she came into the sitting-room just before dinner and david who was actually exhausted from the monotonous hammering of thoughts about only her dared not trust himself to look up as she slipped into her chair he was glancing over a new atlantic he pretended he had not heard gay enter it was young dr ensico the son said gabriella's voice suddenly quietly in the silence to aunt flora i took him upstairs he says to watch and let his father know if there seems to be any pain or restlessness if the words had been so many bombs they could scarcely have had a more extraordinary effect upon david he felt as if his heart had given a great plunge stopped short raced on again madly he felt as if his mouth and throat were dry a sort of weakness and vertigo that were yet exquisitely pleasant seized him 
it was impossible for him to speak to this girl or to look up while this state of affairs lasted if she saw that he was nervous and unlike himself she must think what she would david could only try to get a grip upon soul and body and betray himself as little as possible this moment was the end of all peace for him for although he did indeed presently hand his aunt the magazine with some brief comment and although dinner and the evening proceeded as usual he was beginning to suspect that his whole life had been changed now mysteriously changed partly perhaps his own doing through that long-cherished dream of an imaginary scene with an imaginary gabriella but no matter how it had come about the blazing and inescapable truth was that there was nothing else in the world for him but this quiet slender serious tawny-headed girl he did not know what he felt toward her or whether the wild confusion of his senses might be called anything so reasonable as feeling she was simply in the world she was sitting in chairs opening doors speaking in that incredibly thrilling voice raising those extraordinary eyes that was enough david had never been really in love but he had thought he loved sylvia and he did not put in that same category his feeling for gabriella this was nothing that could be classified or regulated regulated indeed david thought with an almost audible groan when he came to this word in his thoughts as well regulate raging flames or rushing waters it devoured him with fever he was unable to eat for excitement never happy one instant out of gabriella's company acutely miserable when in it he lay awake in the warm spring nights thinking of what he had said to her during the past day and as her looks and words in reply such quiet words such rare looks came back before his vision he would feel his heart stop and his breath would fail him with sheer fear and terror and hope and agony of doubt he sat at breakfast pushing about the toast that was so much chalk and plaster to his palate scalding himself with his coffee one morning forgetting it entirely the next his eyes never left gabriella she would glance up passing him perhaps the omelette that he would not even see much less taste and at his awkward laugh muttered words and hastily averted look she would perhaps color confusedly if she directed a simple question to him he found it maddeningly difficult to answer i beg pardon he had to leave the sentence hanging rawly he could not say her name i asked you did margaret say anything about medicines i i you mean on sunday no gay would say astonished at his manner i mean this morning five minutes ago oh i see i see did who what never mind i'll ask her gay would finish deciding that david must be absolutely absorbed in the picture he was painting david would watch her go from room to room gracious sweet beautiful in her cotton gown all the spring seemed only a setting for her loveliness the lilacs and the blue sky the sunshine and the drifting snow of fruit blossoms it was this wonderful this incomparable woman he would remind himself scathingly that he had affronted with his insulting casual offer of marriage a week ago no wonder the girl had put a definite distance between them since 
but he knew he would ask her again, simply because there was no other conceivable thing for him to do. His dream of the little farmhouse in Keyport returned now, but it was a dream infinitely enhanced, and haloed by all the colors of the rainbow. David could hardly bear the poignant sweetness of the thought of Gay as his wife, Gay perhaps chatting over late breakfast on the porch with him, Gay traveling with him, and looking over a steamer rail as the blue mountains of Sicily or the green shores of the Isle of Wight slowly formed themselves on the horizon. Once, when he was quietly painting, the thought of Gay with a child in her arms came to him suddenly, and David felt his eyes sting and the palms of his hands suddenly moist. She was leagues away from him now, never with him when she could avoid it, never alone with him at all. She was apparently living a life of her own, coming and going gently and pleasantly, answering, listening, but no longer the Gabriella he had known a few months ago. And ten days after his return she was still further removed by her mother's death. Lily died quite peacefully one sweet May evening, after an afternoon when she had seemed more normal than for years. She had for some days the idea that Gabriella was her old nurse, Miss Rosecrans, and made all her few demands of the girl under that name. But at the very end, when Gabriella was kneeling beside her, with sorrowful, tear-brimmed eyes fixed upon the yellow little sunken face, Lily opened her eyes, fixed them affectionately upon Flora, and asked feebly, "'Is this big girl my baby, Flo?' "'This is Gabriella, Lily,' Flora said, clearing her throat. Lily smiled with an ineffable satisfaction at Gabriella, and said contentedly, "'Gabriella, isn't it a pretty name? Do you like it? Did Roger like it?' "'I'm going to say some prayers, mother,' Gabriella said, smiling with wet cheeks, and with the salt taste of her own tears in her mouth. Lily opened her eyes briefly for the last time. "'Ah, I wish you would,' she said, with a smile and a deep sigh. And she never moved or spoke again. Two days later she was buried in the little plot within Wastewater's wide walls. The doctor, Flora weeping on David's arm, gay standing straight and alone, and the awestruck maids were all her little funeral train. It was Flora who seemed to feel the loss the most, and with surprising force she seemed broken and aged, and it was for Gabriella to comfort her. I never supposed it would be so, Flora repeated over and over, that I would be the last, that Will and Roger and Lily would all be gone before me. She would not stay in bed. Flora did not belong to the generation that can eat and read and idle comfortably under covers. She was up at her usual hour, upon every one of the sweet, warm, fragrant mornings, when dawn crept across the sea and the wet garden sent up a very bouquet of perfumes through the open upstairs windows. But she was silent and sad, and when Sylvia's long-awaited happy commencement came, Flora was really too ill to go, although she refused to concede to herself the luxury even of one hour upon a couch or the satisfaction of a single visit from the doctor. David went up alone to the commencement, and brought Sylvia back with him. It was on that last day of her college life, a day of flowers and white gowns, crowds, music, laughter and tears, 
that sylvia found time to say to him pleadingly david dear my letter didn't hurt you terribly i'd had something of the same feeling myself you know he reminded her our letters crossed you remember i said just what you did that it must either be an engagement or nothing and that i knew you would prefer it to be nothing just at this time oh yes responded sylvia narrowing her eyes and speaking a little vaguely and david saw that while her letter a letter written in a charmingly frank fashion and asking please please be free from any engagement to him for a little while had made a romantic sort of impression upon her mind his had scarcely registered upon her consciousness at all in other words sylvia was her own whole world just at the moment and the only things that mattered were her own moods her own ideas her own individual desires the highly distinguished and honorable conclusion of her school days her youth her beauty her sense of closely impending power could not but be deliciously stimulating to a nature like sylvia's she and david stopped two nights in boston sylvia with a schoolmate david at a hotel met on the languid warm spring mornings to explore the quiet shops and to discuss various plans for wastewater electric lighting for wastewater a furnace for wastewater a hot water system for wastewater there was a delightful new red slim checkbook there was an imposing balance at the bank sylvia bought herself one or two charming frocks as a sort of promissory note of the financial independence that was soon to be and she did not forget a broad lacy black hat for dear little gabriella who had had such a sad year and a lacy thin black afternoon gown to match it gabriella when they reached wastewater met them all in white and sylvia gave her a warm kiss and murmured just the right phrase of sympathy as they went upstairs to find her mother the gardens were exquisite in early june bloom the whole house smelled of roses and summer weather birds were flashing in and out of the cherry trees john was on his knees beside the strawberry bed but flora sat upstairs before the cold grate with the windows shut and her first words to sylvia were broken by tears sylvia comforted her with a sort of loving impatience in her voice mamma darling is this reasonable isn't it after all the blessed solution for poor little aunt lily but i never thought it would be so flora faltered blowing her nose sniffling straightening her glasses with all the unlovely awkwardness of hard-fought grief and immediately she regained her composure almost with a sort of shame and david could say truthfully to sylvia a little later when the three young persons were wandering through the garden that sylvia had done her mother good already sylvia indeed did them all good she was delighted with everything appreciative and pleasant with the maids and sisterly in her manner toward gabriella david found her sensible and clever in the business conferences they had on the dreamy summer mornings in the little office downstairs where perhaps the first mistress of wastewater had transacted her business also more than a hundred years before the business of superintending stores and soap-making weaving and dyeing bartering in cocks and geese and the selling of lambs sylvia waived all unnecessary matters 
was brightly receptive and in every way businesslike and yet confident in david's judgment later she would debate with john about fruit with trudy about preserving with daisy about tablecloths all in her own pleasantly unhesitating yet considerate manner it was evident that she would assume her responsibilities thoroughly yet with no jarring and disrupting of the accustomed course of things in one of the late evenings when sylvia came into gay's room to brush her hair and to gossip gay broached her plan of going to a boston convent as soon as the hot weather should be over to look about her and find some sort of work sylvia listened thoughtfully and looked up with a kindly smile you'd be happier so gabriella i think so gay answered what is it sylvia questioned kindly wastewater too lonely gabriella did not answer immediately except by a quick shake of her head presently she said a little thickly no i love wastewater more than any other place in the world well said sylvia musing if you must try your wings by all means try them be sure we'll all be interested in making it a success gay mamma and i may go abroad in the fall it isn't definite of course but i think she would like it if all my various anchors here can be managed without me gabriella had been burning fearing hating to ask it she found herself saying now with a little unconquerable incoherence then you and david david and i answered sylvia with a quick mysterious smile are quite best friends in the world did she know david in asking her to free him had told her how much gay looked at her cousin through the mirror and her face blazed but sylvia curling the end of her long braid thoughtfully about her finger was unsuspicious gay wondered if she could be acting i don't mind telling you dear said sylvia presently that i wrote david in the spring feeling that our understanding was an injustice to us both and asked him to be just my good friend my best friend sylvia interrupted herself to say with a little emotion for me he is the finest man in the world for a little while longer and as he has been my obedient knight ever since i was a little curly-headed despot in short frocks of course he obeyed me she ended with a little whimsical glance and smile and now having gotten to her feet and come over to the mirror she laid one arm affectionately about gabriella's shoulder i love that bright thick hair of yours sylvia said suddenly gabriella felt young crude hateful because she did not adore sylvia contemptible because she suffered in seeing that this other girl's position and happy destiny it was to be always admired always superb why couldn't she why couldn't she school herself to think of sylvia as rich and beautiful and adored and married to david and mistress of wastewater weren't there other men other fortunes other friends to be won gay laid sylvia's smooth hand against her cheek and said like a penitent child you're awfully good i am grateful to you that's right sylvia said laughing and she went upon her serene way to brush her teeth and open her windows and jump into bed with her book of essays always adequate and always sweet 
Gabriella determined, as she usually determined at night, to begin again tomorrow, to force herself to meet Sylvia's friendship and affection, David's friendship and affection, with what was only, after all, a normal natural response. Why must she tremble, suspect, watch, turn red and turn white in this maddening idiotic manner, when these two older and infinitely superior persons only wanted her to be pleasant, natural, friendly as they were? The younger girl felt as if she were living over a powder magazine. At David's most casual word her throat would thicken, and her words become either incredibly foolish or stupidly heavy, and when he and Sylvia were together and out of her hearing, her soul and mind were in a tumult beside which actual bodily pain would have been a relief. When they cheerfully asked her to join them on their way down for an afternoon of idling or reading on the shore, Gay put herself, as she furiously felt, in a ridiculous position by gruffly refusing. The two, and Aunt Flora, spectacled and armed with a book, would look at her in astonishment. Oh, if Aunt Flora's going, Gay might stammer, in her embarrassment using the very phrase she meant not to use. And Sylvia's pretty mouth would twitch at the corners, and she would exchange a demure look with David, as if to say, Gabriella fancied, isn't she a deliciously gauche little creature? She's trying to clear the tracks for our affair. If, on the other hand, Gabriella came innocently from half an hour among the sweet warmth and flying color and the buzzing of bees about the sweet pea vines, to meet David and Sylvia in the path, she might hear Sylvia say lightly and good-temperedly, and might lie awake in the nights remembering it with a thumping heart and cheeks hot with shame. Not now, David. We can discuss this later. On a certain burning July day, several weeks after Sylvia's homecoming, all four Flemings had planned to drive to Crochester in the new car, for some shopping. Sylvia's birthday was but a week ahead, and she was to have a house party for the event. Today she had a neat list. Gimp, enamel, candles, glue, lemonade glasses, Japanese lanterns, with a question mark, and charcoal, with another. For there were to be a beach picnic and a garden fete next week. Just before they started, however, Gay begged to be excused. She was feeling the heat of the day, she said, and wanted to spend the afternoon quietly down on the shore with her Italian grammar. Instantly, without premeditation, David felt himself growing excited again. Here was his last chance for a talk alone with her, a chance that the last few weeks had not afforded him before. The sudden hope of it put him almost into a betraying confusion of excuses. But Sylvia, dismissing him amiably, fancied she knew the cause, and an entirely different cause, of his defection for David was in no mood to dance attendance upon his pretty elder cousin this particular afternoon. He had driven the new car down from Boston the week before with real enjoyment. It was a beautiful car, and David, who was not after all an experienced driver, was rather proud of his safe handling of it. But since it had been at Wastewater, Sylvia had shown a strong preference for Walker's driving. Walker was a nice young fellow of perhaps nineteen, a newcomer, 
who was to act as chauffeur and to help John with errands, and perhaps in September, when the road was less used, to teach Sylvia to drive. For some obscure reason it angered David to have to sit idle beside the pleasantly youthful and amiable walker and hear Sylvia's clear-cut directions. He would rather, he thought ungraciously, he would far rather walk. And today, when Gabriella was graciously excused by Sylvia, he determined to stay home too. Of course, this might mean that Aunt Flora would also stay, David reflected, to walk up and down above the sea, leaning upon his arm in her new feebleness and sadness. But for once Aunt Flora made no sign of abandoning the trip, and although Sylvia looked at him steadily, she also offered no objections. David could hardly believe that he was actually free, after these crowded weeks, to walk after Gabriella through the garden, with no prospect of an immediate interruption. His heart beat with a quite disproportionate emotion. If anyone had told David Fleming a few weeks ago that the chance to follow his lonely little cousin down to the shore, and to have a few minutes of talk alone with her, would have made his temples hammer and his breath come quick with sheer emotion, he might have laughed. But he was shaking today, and there was a drumming in his ears. Since Sylvia's return he had had no such opportunity for a talk. Gabriella was down in a favorite cranny of the great rocks, the blue tide swelling at her feet. David saw her black hat first, flung down on the strip of beach, then the slender white-shod feet braced against a boulder, and then the white figure with a tawny head bent over a book. It was shady here, for this particular group of gray water-worn stones faced east, and the cliff was at her back. There was a soft shimmer of light even in the shadow, and across the rocks above and behind her head the reflected sunshine on the sea ran in little unceasing ripples of brightness. She started as David came across the strand, and put her hand to her heart with a quite simple gesture of surprise. "'David, I thought you went with Sylvia.' "'Too hot,' he answered briefly flinging himself down at her feet and falling into contemplation of a weed-fringed pool that was patiently awaiting the tide. The water brimmed it, and the grasses opened and moved it mysteriously, showing exquisite colors as they spread. The ebb emptied it again, and the ribbons of grass lay lifeless against the wet and twinkling mosaic of life that coated the rocks. A steamer going by like a toy boat on the blue water ten miles away sent out a mild little plume of sound. Mia Sorella ha una casa, David stated with a careless glance at the book. I had three Italian lessons once, and I know that. Gabriella laughed, a little fluttered laugh, and extended to him a white hand and a stout volume, held title out. Anna Karenina. David read aloud with a reproachful look. Oh, you gay deceiver! He had sometimes called her that in her babyhood years ago, and he fancied there was a little softening shine, like a flurry of wind on gray water, in her eyes when she heard it now. But she gave no other sign. Is it the first time you've read it? David asked, conventionally, wondering where his dear, confident companion of the January days had gone 
and whether this new dignity and aloofness in gabriella were only a passing effect of sorrow and of the displeasure his most ill-chosen words had given her or whether he had dreamed that once she was ready to flash to respond to be affectionate with him oh no she answered but i have to read it over now and then like cranford and adam bede and the ring and the book a lot you get out of the ring in the book david teased with a brotherly smile i get what i can she answered demurely unprotesting and with just a hint of her old easy fun with him it was enough to turn his heart to water and he formed within his confused mind a solemn resolution not to fail her again not to offend to watch this timid little seedling of returning confidence and friendship reverently and tenderly to keep that at least if he might have no more but anna's is a sad story he said looking at the book yes but i like sad stories gabriella answered thoughtfully love stories don't all girls like love stories i don't call this love gabriella objected after a brief silence when she had looked at the two words on the cover of the book until they spun and quivered before her eyes come now david offered mildly actually trembling lest some misstep on his part shatter the exquisite pleasure of this blue hour of summer and the ripple and quiver of the sea against the big shady rocks and the quiet beauty of the girl's voice don't say that you think anna karenina isn't a love story it isn't my idea of love gabriella persisted with a faint stress on the personal pronoun what would you call it david asked passion egotism selfishness the girl answered unexpectedly and quietly not raising her eyes and as if she were thinking aloud and do you get this out of books get what gabriella asked after a pause your knowledge of love gay again a silence her eyes did not meet his but she did not seem discomposed or agitated she had gathered up a handful of white sand and now she let it sift slowly through her fingers into the hemmed waters of the tide pool not entirely she answered presently and again the notes of her husky voice seemed to david to fall slowly through the air like falling stars i feel as if i had just begun to learn about it lately david said clearing his throat and beginning to tremble and as she did not answer he told himself despairingly that he had again taken with her the very tone of all tones that must be avoided you've never been in love gabriella he went on desperately trying to lighten the tone of the conversation make it seem like an ordinary casual talk why do you say that she asked quickly and now he had a flash of the star sapphire eyes but gay protested david with the world falling to pieces about him already enough she answered in a low voice her beautiful hands busily straightening the little rocky sandy frame of the pool to know that it is not vanity and passion and selfishness and she glanced at anna karenina again as if her words were only of the book what she said was nothing but there was a note of confession of proud acknowledgment in her tone that struck david to a numbed astonishment gay this explained her silences her depressions 
her attitude toward his kindly brotherly offer of protection the child was a woman gay tell me he said turning the knife in his heart is it a man he was going to ask but as the absurd tenor of these words occurred to him he slightly altered the question is it a man i know dear is it frank despain she gave him a quick level glance flushed scarlet and looked out across the shining sea cloud shadows were marking it with purple and brown and there was a jade green reef in the blue far off thunder rumbled but in the hot still air about them there was no movement no it isn't frank i don't think you know him she answered quietly with her little sisterly smile david was too thoroughly shaken and dazed to answer he sat in a sort of sickness trying to assimilate this new and amazing and most disquieting truth here was a new element to fit in among all the others the child the little tawny-headed girl of the family cared for some unknown man an unreasoning hate for this man stirred in david he visualized a small and bowing frenchman titled perhaps captivating to these innocent convent-bred eyes and will there be a happy ending he asked the girl seemed suddenly to have gained self-possession and her old serene spirit she was smiling as she said no i think he likes another woman better than he likes me i can see that you don't mean that david said hurt and confused gabriella caring gabriella keeping this away from them all he could not adjust himself to the thought of it easily nor change all his ideas to meet it some day will you tell me he said a little uncertainly and clumsily looking out upon what seemed suddenly a brazen glare of sea and sky some day she answered quietly and there was a silence it was broken by a calling voice from above them first like the pipe of a gull then resolving itself into a summons from sarah gabriella and david got to their feet with disturbed glances it was perhaps only a caller but sarah sounded as gay said scrambling briskly up the cliff at his side important sarah looked important too and her face had the deep flush on one side and the shiny paleness on the other that indicated an interrupted nap if they pleased it was a man for mr fleming from boston david said as they accompanied the maid through the garden he didn't say sir it may be the electric light man gabriella suggested yet with an odd impending sense of something grave sarah quite obviously felt this too for she added curiously flutteringly he's a queer rough sort of feller where did you put him sarah he didn't go in miss gabriella he says he'd walk up and down outside there he is and sarah indicated a tall lean young man who was indeed walking up and down among the roses with long strides and who now turned and came toward them gay saw a burned dark sick-looking face deep black eyes a good suit that was somehow a little clumsy on a tall figure that seemed a little clumsy too the man lifted his hat as he came toward them and smiled under a curly thatch of very black thick hair hello he said in an oddly repressed sort of voice 
holding out his hand. Gay could only smile bewilderedly, but David sprang forward with a sort of shout. Tom, he said, Tom Fleming, my God, you've come home. End of chapter 13「Chapter Fourteen of the Black Flemings by Kathleen Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen. So there was this new fact with which to deal. Tom Fleming had come home. Tom, thirty, lean, burned a leathery brown by a thousand tropic suns, had apparently determined to return with infinitely less deliberation than he had exercised over his running away almost twenty years before. He made no particular explanation for his old reasons for departure. On the other hand, there was no mystery about it. The sea and ships, adventure, danger, exploration, storms, had always been more real to Tom than his name and family and wastewater. He had found them all, drunk deep of them all, between fourteen and thirty. He meant, of course, to go back to them some day. Meanwhile he had been ill, was still weak and shaken, and unable to face even the serenest cruise. And so he had come home, to see the folks, he explained, with a grin on his brown face, which wore smooth deep folds about cheekbones and chin, for all his leanness that made him look older than he was. In actual features he was as handsome as his handsome father. But Tom, garrulous, boastful, simply shrewd and childishly ignorant, was in no other way like Black Roger. Roger had been an exquisite, loving fine linen, fine music and books, the turn of a phrase or the turn of a woman's wrist. All these were an unknown world to Tom, and Tom seemed to know it, and to be actuated in his youthful, shallow bombast by the fear that these others, these discovered relatives, might fancy him ashamed of it. Tom never was ashamed of anything. He instantly gave them to understand. No, sir, he had knocked men down. He had run risks. He had been smarter than the others. He had foxed them. In Archangel or Tahiti, Barbados, or Yokohama, Tom's adventures had terminated triumphantly. Women had always been his friends, scores of women mysterious russian women who were really the political power behind international movements beautiful hawaiian girls stunning spanish senoritas in buenos aires he held them all in the hollow of his lean brown-hided hand he was a hero in his own eyes he wanted to be a hero in the eyes of his relatives as well it was perhaps only gabriella who had wistfully longed to be claimed and admired too so short a time ago, who appreciated, upon that first strange evening, that there was something intensely pathetic in Tom's boasting. What were this old brick house, and these women with their fuss about vases of flowers and clean sheets to him, he seemed to ask scornfully. Let him think he was a roughneck if they wanted to, he didn't care. Everyone looking at him so solemnly, everyone implying that this money of his father's was so important. Let them find out it didn't mean so much to Tom Fleming. Yet Tom was impressed, deeply and fundamentally stirred by this homecoming, 
in a sense that all his adventures had never stirred him. Old memories wrenched at his heart. His wonderful father had been here at Wastewater when Tom had last been here, and his father's frail little second wife, the delicate Cecily, who had been the object of a sort of boyish admiration from Tom. Perhaps the lean, long, sun-brown sailor, whose actual adventures had taken the place of that little boy's dreams of the sea, felt deep within himself that he had not gained everything by the change. Slowly all the fibers of soul and body had been hardening, coarsening. Tom had not been conscious of the slow degrees of the change, but he was vaguely conscious of it now. The old house had seemed to capture and preserve the traditions, the dignified customs of his race. The very room seemed full of reproaches and of questions. His aunt he found only older, grimmer, more silent than he had remembered her. Sylvia had grown from a tiny girl into a beautiful woman, and Gabriella's birth had not been until after his departure. But David and he had spent all their little boyhood days together, and David immediately assumed the attitude of his guide, wandering about the old place with him in a flood of reminiscences, and taking him down to the housekeeping regions, where old Hedda and Trudy and Margaret, who remembered him as a child, wept and laughed over him excitedly. Tom enjoyed this, but when the first flush of greetings to the family and the first shock of stunned surprise were over, a curious restraint seemed to fall upon their relationship, and the return of the heir made more troublesome than ever the separate problems of the group. Sylvia, from the first half-incredulous instant, had borne the blow with all her characteristic dignity and courage. It was hard for her to realize, as she immediately realized, that even in her loss she was comparatively unimportant, and that whoso surrendered the fortune was infinitely of less moment than whoso received it. But she gave no sign. She welcomed Tom with charming simplicity, with a spontaneous phrase or two of eagerness and astonishment, and no word was said of material considerations until much later. Yet it was an exquisitely painful situation for Sylvia, the more because she had been so absolute a tool in the hands of the fate that had first made her rich and now made her poor in her breath. She had not wanted Uncle Roger's money. She had indeed been a child when the will was made. Tom might easily have been supposed to return. The second Mrs. Fleming might have had children, and her own mother— although she had indeed married Will Fleming rather late in life, might have given Sylvia younger sisters and brothers. But gradually the path had cleared before Sylvia. Tom had not come home. Sylvia's father had died, leaving her still the only child. Cecily had died childless, and Uncle Roger had died. For years Sylvia's mother and David— watching her grow from a beautiful childhood to a fine and conscientious girlhood, had prefaced all talk of her fortune with, unless Tom comes home. But gradually that had stopped. Gradually they, and her circle, and the girl herself, had come to think of her as the rightful heiress. Now, between luncheon and dinner, upon a burning summer afternoon, all this had been snatched from her, instantly taken, beyond all doubt or question. Here was Tom, 
indisputably re-established as sole legatee, as owner of everything here at Wastewater. Yesterday, a rather carelessly dressed brown-faced sailor, with a harsh blue-black jaw, unnoticed among a hundred others in a crowded harbor city, tonight he was their host. Sylvia asked no sympathy and made no complaint, but the very foundations of her life were shaken. All the ambitions of her busy college years were laid waste, and from being admired and envied, she must descend to pity and obscurity. She and her mother would have Flora's few thousand a year, plenty, of course, much more than the majority of persons had, Sylvia knew that, but she must readjust everything now to this level, abandon the little red checkbook, and learn to live without the respectfully congratulatory and envious glances. It was bitterly hard. Wherever her thoughts went, she was met by that new and baffling consideration of ways and means. Europe? But could they afford it? Escape from the whole tangle? Yes, but how? They could not leave Gabriella here with Tom, even if Sylvia were not indeed needed while all the matter of the inheritance was being adjusted. Sylvia had said a hundred times that she would really have liked to be among the women who must make their own fortune and their own place in the world. Now she found it only infinitely humiliating and wearisome to contemplate. She did not know whether to be resentful or relieved at the general tendency now to overlook her. Tom naturally had the center of the stage. But it was all uncomfortable and unnatural, and the girl felt superfluous, unhappy, restless, and unsettled for the first time in her well-ordered life. Flora had borne the news with the look of one touched by death. She had not in fact been made ill, nor had her usual course of life been altered in any way, unless her stony reserve grew more stony and her stern gray face more stern. But David thought more than once that her nephew's reappearance seemed to affect Aunt Flora with a sort of horror, as if he had come back from the dead. She had presented him with her lifeless cheek to kiss when he arrived, and there had been a deep ring, harsh and almost frightening, in the voice with which she had welcomed him. Flora was not mercenary. Gabriella and David both appreciated clearly that it was not her daughter's loss of fortune that had affected her. But from the very hour of Tom's return, she seemed like a woman afraid, nervous, apprehensive, anxious at one moment to get away from wastewater, desolated at another at the thought of leaving the place where she had spent almost all her life. Oddly, seeing this fear, David and Gay saw, too, that it was not of Tom, or of any possible secret or revelation connected with Tom. It was as if Flora saw in his reappearance the reappearance, too, of some old fear or hate, or perhaps of a general fear and hate that had once controlled all her life, and that had seemed to be returning with this person. "'There is a curse on this place, I think,' Gabriella heard her whisper once, many times over and over. But it was not to Gabriella she spoke. And one night she fainted. Tom had been telling them a particularly hair-raising tale at table, and because he really felt the horrible thrill of it himself, he did not, as was usual with him, 
embroider it with all sorts of flat and stupid inventions of his own. It was the story of a man, stranded on a small island, conscious of a hidden crime, and attempting to act the part of innocence. Of all things, Gabriella had said, impressed, it seems to me the most terrible would be to have a secret to hide. I mean it, the girl had added, seriously, turning her sapphire eyes from one to another, as they smiled at her earnestness. I would rather be a beggar, or in prison, or sick, or banished, anything but to be afraid. Flora, at the words, had risen slowly to her feet, staring blindly ahead of her, and with a hurried and suffocated word had turned from her place at the table. And before David could get to her, or Sylvia make anything but a horrified exclamation, she had fainted. This had been on Tom's third evening at home, a close summer night that had afforded Flora ample excuse for feeling oppressed. Yet gay, looking about the circle as the days went by, David is always thoughtful and sympathetic, if he was more than usually silent, Sylvia beautiful and serene, if also strangely subdued, Tom seeming to belong so much less to wastewater, with his strange manners and his leathery skin, than any of the others. Aunt Flora, severe and terrible, felt arising in her again all the fearful apprehensions of her first weeks there, almost a year ago. What was going to happen? Her heart hammered incessantly. What was going to happen? What could happen? These were not the days of mysterious murders and secret passages, dark deeds in dark nights. Why did Wastewater suddenly seem a dreadful place again? A place that was indeed allied to the measureless ocean, with its relentless advance and retreat, and to the dark woods, behind which red sunsets smoldered so angrily. But that had nothing in common with the sweet village life of Crochester and Keyport, where happy children played through vacation days and little boats danced in and out. I am afraid, Gabriella whispered to herself more than once, as the blazing blue days of August went by, and the moon walked across the sea in silent, frightening nights. David and Tom were there, seven or eight maids, gardener, chauffeur, stableman, yet she was afraid. If we are only all out of here before winter comes, she would think, staring at the high, merciless sky, where distant wisps of cloud drifted against the merciless, bright distances of the summer sea. She could not face another winter at Wastewater. David was quiet in these days, spending long hours with Tom, painting, taking solitary walks before breakfast, Gabriella knew. The girl would look at him wistfully. Ah, why couldn't they all seem as young as they were? Why weren't they all walking, talking, picnicking together as other families did? David was always kind, always most intelligently sympathetic in any problem, but he seemed so far away. She could not break through the wall that seemed to have grown between them. It made her quiet, unresponsive in her turn. David, watching her, thought what a mad dream his had been of Gabriella as his wife, and felt himself bitterly to be a failure. Had he taken his place years ago in the world of business and professional men, had he risen to a reputation and an income, he might have had the right to speak now. 
as it was she was as inaccessible from the standpoint of his poverty his stupid silences and inexperience as a star she had no thought of him except as a useful older brother and talking business with tom he was an idling fool of an unsuccessful painter in a world full of conversational pleasant failures he hated himself his canvases and palettes his paltry four thousand a year his old sickening complacencies over a second-hand book or a volume of etchings life had become insufferable to him and david told himself that if it had not been for tom's needs he would have disappeared for another long year of painting in europe or in china as it was he had to see her every day the woman who filled all the world with exquisite pain for him and with agonizing joy she came downstairs pale and starry-eyed in her thin white gown and shady hat on these hot days she asked him a simple question she pleaded without words for his old friendship and understanding he could not give it and one day sylvia asked him if he had noticed that tom was falling in love with gay david stood perfectly still for a few seconds he had a strange brassy taste in his mouth a feeling that the world had simply stopped everything was over hope was dead within him haven't you noticed it sylvia said ah i do hope it's true they were in the downstairs sitting-room which had been darkened against the blazing heat of the day all four of the young flemings had been down on the rocks by the sea on a favorite bit of beach but even there the day had been too hot for them and now at five they had idled slowly toward the house through a garden in which the sunlight lay in angry blazing pools of brightness between the unstirring thick leafage of the trees there was no life in the air today, no life in the slow lip and rock of the sea the girls had talked of a sea bath at twilight when the night might be shutting down with something like a break in the heat but even that necessitated more effort than they cared to make dressing again gabriella had protested would reduce them to their former state of limp and sticky discomfort the sitting-room was hot and smelled of dust and upholstery and old books through the old-fashioned wooden blinds the sun sent dazzling slits of light swimming with motes there was a warm glow here like the gloom in a tropic cave sylvia whose rich dark beauty was enhanced by summer and who was glowing like a rose despite tumbled hair and thin crumpled gown came to stand at the window and look over david's shoulder gabriella and tom with the dog had just walked down the drive and disappeared in the direction of the stable it had been gabriella's extraordinary voice heard outside that had brought david to the window you speak with feeling tom she had been saying the words had drifted in at the window and david seemed still to hear them lingering sweet and husky and amusedly maternal in the air of course that was it she would marry tom the thought had never crossed his mind before he seemed to know the fact now and his heart and mind shrank away from it with utter unwillingness to believe a month ago poor as he was he might have done anything now it was too late 
"'I see him just as you see him, David,' Sylvie was saying. "'A big, lax, good-natured sort of boastful boy, that's what he is. "'But I don't believe she sees him that way. "'And, if she could like him, it would be a wonderful marriage for her, wouldn't it? "'Fancy that youngster as a mistress here. "'And isn't he exactly the sort of rather, well, what shall I say?' rather coarse adoring man who would spoil a young and pretty wife she likes him david managed to say slowly i think she's beginning to she has a nice sort of friendly way with him sylvia said he doesn't seem to bore her as he does me he wearies me almost to tears i thought it seemed to me it was just her way david reasoned and the darkest shadow that he had ever known at Wastewater fell upon his heart then, and he felt that he could not support it. Of course, she would be rich and beloved, the furred and jeweled little Mrs. Fleming of Wastewater. He must not stand in her way. A few days later he went off for a fortnight's tramp with Rucker, he said, somewhere in Canada. He left no address, promising to send them a line now and then and Gabriella, bewildered with the pain of his composed and quiet parting, watching his old belted suit and the sturdy, shabby knickers out of sight, said to herself again, I am afraid. Tom had made her a special ally and confidant of late, and only Gabriella knew how far her friendship had been influential in keeping him home at all. He disliked his Aunt Flora, and felt that Sylvia looked down upon him, as indeed she did david affectionately interested as he was was a forceful almost formidable element wherever he might be and nobody knew it better than tom david might be comparatively speaking poor he might wear his old paint-daub jacket he might depreciatingly shrug when a discussion was under way he might listen smilingly without comment when tom was noisily emphatic Yet Tom knew, and they all recognized, that there was a silent power behind David. He was a gentleman. Books, art galleries, languages, political and social movements. David was quietly in touch with them all. He was what Tom would never be, that strange creature, a personality. Even while he nodded and applauded and praised, he had an uncomfortable effect of making Tom feel awkward and even humble, making him see how absurd were his pretense and his shallow vanity after all. But Gay was inexacting, friendly, impressionable, and she combined a most winning and motherly concern for Tom's physical welfare with a childish appetite for his tales. She felt intensely sorry for Tom chained here in the unsympathetic environment he had always disliked, and she assumed an attitude that was somewhat that of a mother, somewhat that of a sister, and devoted herself to him. She liked him best when he talked to the sea as they sat on the rocks facing the northeast, sheltered by the rise of the garden cliff from the afternoon sea. Dots of boats would be moving far out upon the silky surface of the waters, now and then a big liner went slowly by, writing a languid signature in smoke, scarcely deeper in tone than the summer sky. Tom talked of boats, little freighters fussing their way up and down strange coasts, 
nosing into strange and odorous tropic arbors, Palermo, with the tasseled donkeys jerking their blue and red headdresses upon the sun-soaked piers, Nicteroy in its frame of four hundred islands, Batavia, Barbados, Singapore. Tom knew them all. Sometimes the listening girl was fascinated by real glimpses of the great nations, seen through their shipping, saw England in her grim colliers, fighting through mists and cold and rolling seas, saw the white-clad cattle kings of the pampas watching the lading of the meat-boats from under brom-brimmed white hats. And it seemed to Gabriella, and to them all, as the days went by, Tom lost some of his surface boastfulness and became simpler and more true. He was not stupid, and he must see himself how differently they received his inconsequential, honest talk from the fantastic and elaborate structures he so often raised to impress them. "'I'm beginning to like him,' she said. And she wondered why Aunt Flora and Sylvia looked at her so oddly. End of chapter 14「Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn five dollars into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a five dollar wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc